Yeah, I think Tony, if if you're a commodity uh, product selling a commodity and you're selling it at a commodity price point, it's just a race to the bottom. You've got private label competition. Uh, you've got people that are vertically integrated, and you're never going to be competitive uh, of the sort of market leader. And so, as the, as a challenger brand like Bushwick Kitchen or even like Soapbox. You've got to think of a point of differentiation that you can really hang on to and that your consumer base really care about. Man, I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh... The companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions, it's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty. Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves, and to help our companies take on different strategies, pick the right technology, pick the right partners, and of course, you got to have great tasting food, you got to have great tasting beverages package goes. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry. You're going to lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge. Go back, pick out some brands and CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're going to find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week. But I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different, better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week. Stay tuned for this week's episode. Hey, welcome to Winning at Work. It's Tony Moore, and I have Matt Kovacs with me again today, the president and chief strategist for Blaze PR. They do tons of work with uh, lifestyle brands. Matt, so you're just a glutton for punishment coming back into the show again. Thank you again. No, it's been fun, and yeah, I figured why not? Let's do it again. Well, you've got a lot of interesting brands, a lot of interesting companies that you work with in the uh, lifestyle space. And you were, you know, kind of chatting with me about Daniel Dahl, kind of on the side, all the different companies and brands and kind of um, different channels that they're moving into. So we thought we would um, bring another one of your, I guess he's, are you an active client, Daniel? 
Active client, yeah. yes. Yeah. I was explaining too that the fun thing was that we started right before, you know, the pandemic. And then we didn't physically meet until this past, you know, uh, two years later in uh, at uh, Expo West. So it's one of those virtual and then, oh, you're real. And, and it was very funny when we ran into each other. It was like, oh, I know you. It was like, yeah. Oh, okay. you ran into him at the, yeah, at the yeah. at West. We knew we were going to be there. And it was like, how do you meet up? And yeah, that's always fun to, uh, you know, to have that happen. It's like the it's long distance relationship. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then you're, you're meeting with... Uh, you know, 70,000 of your closest friends trying to figure out where, where in the, uh, in the, in the sea of CPG, uh, folks you, we actually can meet, but it was great to meet up in person and kind of feel like the industry for consumer brands is kind of coming back to life. We need a good expo East is what I think. Cause I, I feel like I'm, I'm left out of this. I really do. I mean, you're on the East coast too, but of course. Dan. I am. Yeah. We're, I'm in uh, Metro DC. I feel like the expo East has kind of always been that stepchild show for Expo West and moving it to Philadelphia was that first step for, you know, the, the natural product space to kind of really respect the show and give it the size and, and space that deserves. And then of course, you know, the, the last Expo East was kind of a softball. I mean, a lot of brands still weren't showing up because of yeah. COVID and it was definitely a stripped down experience from what I think they originally intended. Uh, but I've got really high hopes for, for this Expo East and and brands treating it like a way to, you know, uh, open up their their products to the East Coast consumer versus just the tick box tick the box that you can get better boost placement at Expo West next year. Yeah. Oh, right. Like we'll show up at East so we can uh, get pr- preferential treatment on the West, right? New Hope does have a way to kind of encourage that. Uh, right. That, right. That Early. Kind of get some. On both coasts. That's right. Well, That's why, uh, yeah, they're the mafia. They they can do that. They they have they're able to make you an offer and you can't refuse. Well, maybe we need to you know listen. Maybe we need to start something ourselves. Uh, you know, that's kind of in the spirit of of what. Daniel does anyway. I mean, Daniel creates all these partnerships, innovating. Maybe we need to uh, explore a different <laughs> different format. Um, so. We have spoken once before, Daniel, and I, I felt like I was peeling back an onion when I was talking to you about all the different missions and kind of directions that you were trying to take the company. And, you know, Matt and I, we've been discussing this as well. Um, before we really get into a lot of your, you know, growth strategies and kind of how you're expanding into food and beverage, let's start with um, – Soapbox. Tell us the origin story behind this kind of flagship brand of yours and uh, what your your purpose is beyond just uh, selling uh, healthcare products. Yeah, absolutely. So Soapbox starts with my co-founder, Dave, uh, spending some time at a, at a subcontractor for USAID called Karana. Uh, he had graduated early and uh, went and worked with them and, and focused on SME development in sub-Saharan Africa. And just saw that they would go and spend and deploy millions of dollars of capital and put these 300-page after-action reports together, kind of describing what they had done. And then if you sort of flip all the way to the back of those books and you sort of read, like, what did we actually achieve? There wasn't a whole lot of substance there. And the theory was, you know, there's this brand that's kind of taking off called Tom Shoes that's taking this unique model of giving called One for One. And how do we apply that? to a commodity like soap 
which is one of the core things that um, they were focused on. The acronym is WASH, Water Sanitation and Hygiene. And so obviously you need the clean waters from wells or latrines, you need uh, the soap, and then you need the educational piece um, about the to make hygiene culturally relevant. And so uh, he had come back to alumni audit a class in entrepreneurship that I was taking and helped work on the business plan for creating this social mission soap company. And so we had kind of nights and weekends, passion project did. I, you know, I had been recruited into consulting as one in the DC area does. It's like you either end up in consulting or on the hill. Uh, and, and Dave had gone to Philadelphia for Teach for America and um, was going down that path. And so we kind of just uh, started making soap and, um, you know, got into our first store, which was a whole food store in Glenville's, Pennsylvania, which was a, a new store opening. And they basically said, hey, um, go prove that people want to buy social mission soap. And so we did what every good entrepreneur does. We went to all the stores in the Mid-Atlantic mid that we were approved in, driving around, doing demos on the weekends. And we would sell more product on a Saturday in a whole food store in the Mid-Atlantic than the average soap brand would sell in a year. And so we ended up getting approved into more Whole Foods regions and then eventually grew the natural channel. And so fast forward to today, Tony, you know, we sort of realized that the primary purpose of our brand is obviously to provide great quality products. That's table stakes. Um, but it was to democratize giving and give consumers the ability that, um, that they can participate in a mission, that they can do a give back without having to really sacrifice their, their own time. I mean, we're in a busy world. COVID has made things like a weird environment. And we've been, you know, around way before that, again, starting in 2010, 2012, full time. But really on this whole idea that if I can get someone to change their consumerism and buy the product that's three inches to the left, that has a social mission, that the cumulative uh, effect of that nationwide is that we can impact a lot of lives in, in a positive way, uh, create economic development and, um, I can go on and on. Our story is way more than just one for one. But, you know, to date, we've donated over 23 million bars of soap around the world to over 60 countries. Uh, and it is ironic that, you know, as of 2020, you know, cleaning your hands and, and hand hygiene and the importance of it in, in terms of like sort of macro global health uh, has become part of the zeitgeist. Um, but we've been talking about, you know, hygiene and education for years. Um and uh, and that's really the origin story. And now you'll you can find us at every major retailer uh, with the whole range of products, not just the bar soap we started with, but hand soap, lotion, shampoos, conditioners, you know, the whole personal care and hair care regimen. And then how I, I'm always intrigued again, obviously, we met, you know, as you were exploring, how does that leap then jump over to Bushwick Kitchen? Is it more of the DTC experience? Is it you were, you know, a secret foodie and you're like, yeah, let's get into this. That, that's where I've uh, always been curious. Yeah, so I've always been a foodie. Um, I love to cook, but uh, don't have much time to do that, but, but enjoy the process of it. And so as we sort of think about how we've structured our brand, um, there's kind of two ways that you can approach it in CPG. There is um, make product yourself, own manufacturing and kind of build the brand on the process or own the brand and use contract manufacturers to bring that product to life uh, to your specs and have them make it for you. And so uh, we've never made outside of the early batches of soap that Dave made in his, in his dorm room that people thought he was making illicit drugs. 
uh, or, or starting a fight club. I can club. see that. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank What is that smell coming from yeah. there? Right. Yeah, you when you're a college age uh they don't give you the like, benefit of the doubt at all. Like, hey, wow. let me just stir this pot of uh of chemicals, chemicals. together. Oh my landlord, god. Uh, puts an eyebrow up a little bit, but and we've never actually filled our own our own soap. It's always been our plan to be a really strong brand and marketing engine uh that makes incredible products that relies uh on great contract manufacturers that we've built loyalty with. And so as we look at our company and the, and the infrastructure that we've built to really exceed at online and in retail, we kind of break it into four key categories, finance, operations, sales, and marketing. And so those are the kind of the core functionality that, that we've built as part of our infrastructure to support a soap brand. And the reality and to the question is that probably 85% of consumer packaged goods in, in our minds are identical. You need those same four core groups uh, and of course, there's exceptions, but if you're t- talking about the center store of an average grocery store, the majority of the products are made with the exact same process, formula development, find a contract manufacturer, give them your specs, put the goop in the bottle, um, label it, market it, sell it in, and so forth. And so um, when we got the opportunity to talk to the folks at Bushwick Kitchen, uh, we were going to pair them with some of our good friends who had a sauce company, uh, but they were going through an acquisition at the time. And they were like, we love this brand. We love what they stand for. We've been following them, but there is no way that we're going to be able to integrate a brand in as we're trying to integrate into a multinational CPG. And the more we went through the process, the more we found that there's actually a lot of synergies in our process and infrastructure and we love the brand. And so we ended up taking it over in 2018 and have been growing it ever since. It's like a little happy little mistake, you know. It's like, wait a minute, why should, why are we not looking at this for us? I love what you said though, Daniel, about focusing on brand versus manufacturing. I think that kind of frees you up, frees up your capital, it frees up your, it kind of you you take a huge burden off yourself. I mean, you coming from an, an ops background, you understand just the the nightmare it would be if you had to manage your own manufacturing. So I think it's kind of a brilliant concept to. Let's just focus on, like you say, you know, finance, ops, sales, marketing, dial our infrastructure in, and then the gen, let's just add strategic, you know, brands to it. Um, tell us about um, Brunswick Kitchen because uh, I was Bushwick sent Kitchen. a sample pack. Yeah. Bushwick What's Kitchen. that, Matt? Bushwick Kitchen. What did I say? Brunswick. You're thinking of bowling. Why do I say, I, why do I always say that? What in the, I am literally looking at the product. <laughs> right. You have it right there. I know. But I think, yeah, the Bushwick name, I mean, again, back to marketing and maybe you looked at it this way, but having that Bushwick, Brooklyn, you know, that feel. And I think at the time it's, you know, you look at, you know, all the cool kids, you know, type element and that's where brands, you know, really, uh, you know, try and find that aspect. So, yeah, I think that's a big part of, of you know, the element. The, the Bushwick name is it, 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 it's because it started in, in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Uh, there is a long story about the Bushwick name, and we've had to go through a lot of uh, a lot of legal hoops to try to get the trademark Bushwick Kitchen officially granted on the principal register uh, because it's Bushwick, and we actually had to prove that the brand had grown to a scale that people would recognize that Bushwick is not just an area of Brooklyn, but also a brand that sells sauces. And you got uh, which it. we successfully did. Oh, um, good. Yeah, but. Uh, 
but yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, it's a great brand. It was a great brand. And I think to your point, Tony, you, you've got a, there's pros and cons to owning your own manufacturing and, and, uh, or just growing a, you know, being a house of brands. Um, you have to know what you're good at. And for us, you know, I guess when we first started, we didn't know anything. Um, but then we surrounded ourselves with a bunch of people that were way smarter than us, uh, to help understand DTC and retail. Um, not many of those people were focused on how to optimize your line running to, you know, 200 pieces per minute instead of 160. It's a whole different skill set when you're, when you're going down that path and that that's not one that we built the team around. So we knew that while there might be some cost savings there, it wasn't our competitive advantage. I think the other thing that's been interesting, again, through the years, obviously, you know, as condiments and the whole sort of sauce game has grown as people were, you know, in, in their homes looking for ways to uh, whatever it is, kickstart their food uh, in general. But I think, again, the thing I think would be interesting to learn too is how you've approached innovation and then even those partnerships because you know, you, you've had success in those, again, the kits, the spicy sort of game, but how you really look to expand that to, to grow the uh, portfolio. I think for Bushwick, it, it comes down to a couple of different things. The first one is a, a positioning piece. And so from a price point perspective, we've always tried to take a premium to the category because of the unique flavors and infusions that we add. We don't want to be looked at like a Heinz ketchup. Uh, we think that those brands have a place in the market for sure, but that's what you you ask for the ketchup when you order your hamburger and french fries. We want to build something that is so unique and that you love so much that you want to seek out other dishes to, and uses for it. And so it becomes that kind of like statement piece of furniture where you build your entire room around versus just the paint on the walls. And so, you know, as we've thought about the brand, uh, that's the first piece. And the second piece is around the pricing strategy. So we want it to be premium so that it denotes quality. We have the ability to source great quality ingredients uh, and make the unique flavors and that you feel comfortable as a consumer being able to use those every day and that you're not you know, breaking the bank, but also that the brand has enough sort of um, value that you can then use it for gifts to bring to your friend's housewarming party and to give to your employees as a corporate gift. And so we feel like we're straddling the line of if you're not going to be a mass market product, then be a product that has as much utility at the price point uh, that you that you have to be a premium good, but also have like all these other avenues of which you can sell the product. And so we feel like we sh we shuttle that balance really well. Um, and that's kind of a unique thing for us. Um, I mean, we have a, 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 an incredible Q4 for that reason. And then people get gifted the product. They love it so much. They come back and they rebuy it. And we, every holiday, sort of build the business stepwise because of the exposure we get through just gifting. It's interesting when you go after that premiumization or that premium market, you really are focusing on loyalty and um, brand advocates really at that point, right? Because you're, you're kind of dominating your niche at that point. And I have to say, um, I was trying, I, I had several sent to me and um, the spicy honey, that absolutely will set you on fire. <laughs> And yeah. it was so clever how all these different flavors were blended in. Um, 
there was another one that we've already completely demolished it, but uh, the salted honey is kind of unique, but the, but the spicy honey, that one in and of it, I had never heard of such a unique pairing, but that kind of goes to this premiumization. You just don't find that. Yeah. Uh, you know, honey is one of those things that's sort of traditionally thought of as the thing that grandma put in her tea and the whole, you know, comments about not wanting to be just like that, that afterthought condiment. There are so many uses for honey that most people um, don't even stop to think about it. They just buy the bear at their local Safeway for $5.99. They never think about the quality of the honey, where the bees come from, how that impacts your flavor. Mixing those with other additional flavors like the Meyer lemon, the salted, the spicy, and then how you can utilize those. So spicy honey kind of came into prominence and we've been making it since 2014. Um, by putting it on pizza, it's absolutely incredible on pizza. Um, but it's also incredible in margaritas as an agave substitute. Plus the spice gives it like an incredible, you know, little habanero kick. Uh, it's great to drizzle on vegetables, anything that you need that sort of like sweet and heat combination, like chicken and waffles is is a great example. Like our spicy maple goes great on there and our spicy honey goes great on there. Um, there's just so many different ways that you can that you can utilize that product. Um, it's got a lot of versatility and, and our kind of goal is to get people to understand that they can step outside of that, you know, just using tea on, you know, when your throat hurts, uh, honey, honey and tea when your throat hurts. So there's so many other applications. Yeah. Do, do you find that this is a, you know, kind of into your wheelhouse of marketing? Because now at this point it's, it's sending recipes, it's getting, maybe people on social media to post, you know, how they use it. Right. So this kind of must, must be one of your wheelhouse uh, infrastructure pieces, right. That you can just kind of keep leveraging and leveraging because everyone wants to grow. So you, maybe you've kind of locked into some strategies that are helping you um, kind of along this, this road. Yeah. I think Tony, if, if you're a commodity uh, product selling a commodity, and you're selling it at a commodity price point, it's just a race to the bottom. You've got private label competition. Uh, you've got people that are vertically integrated and you're never going to be competitive uh, of the sort of market leader. And so as the, as a challenger brand like Bushwick Kitchen or even like Soapbox, you've got to think of a point of differentiation that you can really hang on to and that your consumer base really care about. And so for us, it's you know not sacrificing the quality uh, watering down the honey, making a hot sauce, you know, be super liquid. You know, we, we want it to set up so that you have more utility, you can dip in it and so forth. Uh, and really providing unique flavors that when someone tries it, they, they think to themselves, how have I lived my life without having this as a go-to condiment in my fridge at all times? And if I can achieve that, I know I'm going to get five stars on Amazon. I know I'm going to build a business. I know that when someone gets the product gifted, they're going to come back and buy more and re-gift it. And so you start to build that flywheel of people just being like evangelical about their sauce, which is like a weird thing to be so excited about. But, you know, people, people rally behind food and they have forever. And, you know, they want to talk about it. They want to make new dishes. They want to explore like culinarily. And uh, you just have to give them the right product to like open up that side of them. Yeah, no, no. I was going to go deeper, but I think for us, again, on the PR side, I think that's where we take, you know, again, that aspect in the same vein of 
not only uh, you know promoting what's going on in this whole you know the the premium, the cool factor, and sort of that explosion of um, you know the the taste profiles, but then really again giving people the confidence, and then seeing it as you go into pancake mix, you go into honeycomb, you know, you have your new uh, products where then people are like, of course, yeah. Now Bushwick Kitchen would bring me new and different things that maybe I didn't uh, you know know I needed in my life, and then exploring that. But I'm always curious too. The, it, back to your, you have your marketing hat on, but on your operations hat, because we do a good job, I think, uh, getting your info and crossing over. But from that standpoint, how you communicate, hey, we're going to go into these different aspects. You know, we want to have a pancake now or into the honeycombs. Where does that conversation happen to be able to the marketer of you, your your left hand to talk to your right hand of like, OK, I trust we can do this. So that's a great question. And uh, we we get that inspiration from a number of things. So macro category trends is one of them. Uh, but one of the things that we do most often is we look at Amazon and we look at keyword search terms that are categorically similar to what we have, um, sort of tan tangential, but not the exact category. Uh, and in some cases like the honeycomb, the exact category and sort of understand what is working on Amazon in terms of search traffic that is underserved by well-known brands with quality listings? And that kind of informs our first step of how we look at what's coming new. So what that means in another way of saying it is a lot of people are searching for this and what they're getting coming back from Amazon is underwhelming to them from a brand perspective or, or the, the quality of the, of the items are subpar. Would you call that a white space or just underserved? I think it's uh, one, the other, or both. It, it, it depends. So um, if you look at honey, for example, as a category, um, out of the top 25 honeys, probably, it's probably changed a little bit, but when we last looked at it, around 10 of those were either in stick form or in comb form. So raw honeycomb in a cassette. Um, or sticks like in single serve units. And as we looked at ourselves, we said we have the number two best selling spicy honey on, on Amazon. Why don't we put that in every other form that's working on Amazon? So if people are saying and they're voting with their dollar that sticks and combs work, then why don't we create sticks and combs? We have the only real brand in those categories that is nationally distributed. And that gives us a leg up. And we can look at the, you know, there's no, there's no nature's Nate in terms of like the leader in private honey, um, owning that space. So that's a, a bit of an opportunity for us to kind of come in and say, we can take our brand and the product form. And all we're doing is taking the same product and just displaying it to the consumer slightly differently. And so they already feel comfortable buying from our brand in a form that they were already buying now. And we can kind of slowly wean those customers over uh, to the Bushwick side. And then that just propels all of, our, all of our, our listings. And then when someone searches honey, we now show up for honey in a bottle, honey in a straw, honey in a comb. And you've got more chances for someone to click on your listing than someone else's. And then digging deeper on that um, to, to my second part was all about partnerships. Do you get the same element of searching for again an angry orchard or those aspects where you can uh, you push the profile and you know draft off of their brands? So we've done a bunch of really unique and interesting partnerships and have a whole bunch more in the hopper. And we always find that um, sometimes there's expected partners, things that 
totally makes sense. Like two food brands coming together, doing a giveaway, you know, uh, cheese, cheese and crackers just kind of make sense. They should always be together. You know, adding some honey to that makes sense as a, a bit of a third wheel. Those are kind of like, you know, down the middle. Um, but to Matt's point, we did a really interesting partnership with Angry Orchard. And, you know, they came to us and said, we want to activate, we have, we have a theory that food brands can activate people to buy alcoholic beverages. And I believe that. I believe that there's a, a great pairing between an alcoholic beverage and a food item on that's reciprocal. And so they said, Hey, we've got these, these, uh, cider flavors. Can you make hot sauces inspired by those flavors? And so we did, we made incredible award-winning hot sauces. We won awards on two of the three. Um, and it was a really cool partnership and, um, it got us to be able to expand our product portfolio into things that were logical for us to move into. And, and also got us the exposure of a whole new audience that um, now is aware of our brand, even though they might not have ever known of us. And so we're, we're always looking for unique opportunities to partner. We've got, a, again, like I said, a couple of really interesting ones uh, that we're kind of cultivating right now. Well, we won't um, s- say anything if you want to mention it here. <laughs> we'll just keep this between us. <laughs> so yeah, how do you f- suss out these? Because we hear quite a bit, you can't chase shiny objects. And now that you've done one partnership, now you've got to decide um, how do we fit them into our, our portfolio? Do you have a, a committee, uh, financial spreadsheets? How do you just kind of quickly, yes, no, maybe these new ideas? Yeah. So, um, all of our new launches specific to Amazon go through a cost of goods model that we have built out where we know all the costs of what we're shipping to Amazon, all the FBA fees, uh, every fee associated with it along the entire way. So we can just plug in the cost of goods for the item and it'll tell us our profitability, how much money we have for ad spends. And we bake all that in. So we kind of view our profitability on a, on a contribution margin basis. And so everything is fully baked. How much we plan on spending on ads. We have historical data. So we know at what times a year we're spending what percentages on ads. And it's fairly consistent. And so with pretty good predictability, we, we can know if an item will be successful. We just don't know how fast it'll take on. Um, and if it goes slower, then we just increase the ad spend. If we have the margin, if it goes faster, then we can pe- pedal back the ad spend until we get more inventory in. Uh, and then specific to partners, it just has to make sense where everyone kind of wins a little bit. Sometimes they just don't make any sense. Um, we've had people reach out for some really weird things um, and it just isn't kind of brand right for us. Um, but then there's other partnerships that we've that we've been talking to that just make so much sense um, that they most of the time they've reached out to us or sometimes we've, we've reached out to them. And um, sometimes it's about that kind of really cool like one plus one equals four type thing. And sometimes it's just like cool brand partnerships. Like I met a, uh, a great entrepreneur out of upstate New York um, that makes these incredible blondies. And she, you know, we were like, Hey, we got to do something together. And she was like, okay, I'm doing a breakfast blondie collection. Send me some maple syrup and I'll make maple syrup blondies. And they were incredible. All right. This is my favorite part. So now we do um, speed round. And these are fun questions, and it gets to know a little bit, yeah, a little bit more right. about you. Exactly. Uh, what is the best uh, hundred dollars you spent recently? And it doesn't have to be business related, but why? What? Why was it the best? 
so I'll, I'll apply it to, to, to business. Um, I'll try to think of a personal answer too. Yeah. Um, my, my view is any dollar spent on productivity is a, is a good dollar spent. So, um, I just spent a hundred dollars to get an adapter to open up one additional monitor for my workstation. So to me, if I can save time or be more productive, that's more time that I could spend doing work or that I could spend with my family. And so I'll spend a lot of dollars on those. Um, but yeah, that's, that was a good one recently. What's the personal one? Um, a pool membership for my kids. <laughs> <laughs> there we um, go. <laughs> having some, uh, having a place to go, especially when it's hot out yep. for the kids to enjoy. Um, there, there's three and five and they're learning how to swim. And so spending money on lessons and, a, you know, a place to go to get those lessons. It's a good life skill to have. And it's also a great way for them to meet new kids. Like my son's going to kindergarten next year. It's a new school. We've met so many kids just from going to the pool that um, are going to be in his class on his bus, um, and it's just great. You know, as things are starting to open back up, it's just great to have um, the ability for the parents to meet parents, for the kids to meet kids, and also for them to, you know, learn an important life skill like being able to survive in water. Yeah, you might. They may end up on the swim team. You never know. There's a swim team that operates out of there, and there's a there's like pep rallies every week. It's kind of a serious thing, nice. and so. Uh, when it's part of your community and it's you get walking distance from your house, like there's no reason why you shouldn't do it. What advice would you give your younger self? Oh man. Uh, I'll try to think of a personal one and a business one as well. So from a business perspective, just the absolute importance of packaging. So one of the things is we were talking about the acquisition of, of Bushwick, their packaging is brilliant. It's, it is widely known, even though it's not a huge brand. And uh, that is a total testament to the founding team and the brand that built um, the brand that they built. And so what is so critically important and all the brands that you sort of see uh, that are on these rocket ship type trajectories all have one thing in common. And it's a really clean, crisp brand position that comes through its packaging. And that you could do marketing all day long and there's tons of tactics in and out of store. But the number one thing in our opinion, in my opinion, our team's opinion is winning at shelf where you have, you're, you're in the competitive set. There are no matter what category you're in, unless you're really, really innovative, there is always other soaps, always other sauces, always other chips. And you've got to be able to stand out and have a really clear differentiating proposition uh, from the competitive set and packaging is the number one thing that does that. Um, and I guess from a personal perspective, I had always wanted to go into law. And so, um, I would, I, I guess I would say your childhood dreams don't always have to be where, where you end up. Uh, I didn't figure out that I wanted to go into business until my freshman year of college. And I am very grateful that the career path, the path that I chose in my, like what degree I was getting had law in it, but wasn't like a pre-law track because I feel like I'd be a lawyer right now and fairly miserable if I had gone down that path. Um, <laughs> no disrespect to lawyers. I have a lot of great respect yeah. for lawyers, but me personally, I determined through exposure and learning and being open-minded 
that that wasn't the best path for me. How about what's a uh, trend that excites you right now? Um, so this one, I'm going to do a CPG trend and then a non-CPG trend. Mm-hmm. Um, back to packaging. So there's an evolution in packaging that's happening right now um, that kind of like retro and vintage is new again. Um, so a lot of the brands have this, they're kind of a little bit, um, less literal and a bit more ethereal in the way that they approach their packaging. Um, and I think it's really interesting trend. and I think it really resonates with the younger demographic. Um, so that's super interesting. And outside of consumer packaged goods, things that fascinate me are like gaming. I think as an industry, the gaming industry is absolutely fascinating that you have games and game titles some of them released free and it was it was never the case you always had to buy your games they were incredibly expensive you had to like you know or rent them from um i'm dating myself a little bit but like blockbuster and then like Redbox, right and and now games are free um there's a whole community of creators that are playing games for a living and and monetizing themselves either competitively or socially playing video games and then creating content cut-ups for TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram of that content and making incredible amounts of money uh, by doing the things that they love. And so the, the gaming category is fascinating to me. Awesome. That's good. Those were good. And, and I'd say lastly, of course, because it's business-driven, uh, how are you feeling for the rest of the year? How's Sriracha, all those things that we chat about, but how are you feeling? Well, Sriracha, you, you, you mentioned it by name. That's a very interesting one because um, I'm not sure, sure exactly when this is going to air. But if it airs in the next month, uh, Hoi Fong, the leader in Sriracha uh, production, uh, rooster sauce with the green top, if anyone doesn't know the brand name behind that is Hoi Fong, um, have had severe issues cultivating the peppers in the regions um, where they get them from. And so they've stopped production till at least the end of September. And so there is a global sriracha shortage of that particular type of sriracha. And so we don't use those peppers and we've seen a massive boom in people coming and experiencing our brand for the first time as an alternative to Hoi Fong. And we hope that the flavor is unique enough and different enough that they'll they'll stick around. Um, but the end of the year, I mean, for the soap company, it's all about setting up for 2023 q1 is implementation season and we're right now we're at the tail end of line reviews uh and for bushwick we're um really focused on sort of setting up for q4 and building that uh, giftable season so excited for the rest of the year cool yeah i love it um there's just so much there but we 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 promised we would only hold you captive for about a half an hour <laughs> We'll probably have to have a follow-up so you can actually reveal the secrets that you would not. I can't believe you just, it's just us talking. I can't believe you wouldn't share them. We'll have to get those at a later date. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to, uh, happy to share them. (laughs) Um, well, what's the best way for people to kind of try and experience some of these products do you have a, a single source website or do we have to direct people in different areas what's, what, what's the best way we try to make it as convenient uh for them um you can find all of our products either soapbox or bushwick kitchen on amazon today that's probably most people's easiest way because you your credit card's loaded you hit 
one-click checkout and it shows up in a day or two. Uh, we also have our own websites, uh, of course, and uh, like I mentioned, Soapbox is found at pretty much every retailer nationwide, you know, your food, drug, and mass retail. And uh, Bushwick Kitchen, more in your specialty stores, Crate and Barrel, Sold the Tob, um, and those kind of places. That's great. Matt, um, are you fully loaded with clients or do you... Um... Always, always need clients. No, I think we're, you know, <laughs> I think the, the best thing, and, and again, I think we learned together with, uh, with Daniel is really, you know, our background was much more, um, um, you know, I, I'd say the obvious, you know, in beverages and stuff. And then really where we've grown and, and helped, uh, you know, collaborate together of, of really expanding that. The, their same mission of, you know, really looking for new ways to implement and uh, take that. I think that's the way we look at, um, you know, from a PR standpoint. So no, I think it's been a, it's a fun relationship, fun brand. And uh, we really love uh, working with Daniel and the team. What's the best way for people to connect with you over at Blaze PR? Go to blazepr.com. Very easy. That is pretty easy. And you guys are on LinkedIn. Although Daniel, I know you're not a big, a big user of, of, of LinkedIn, but you're probably, you're, you're just busy. Not a big user of most social media. Um, ironic given that we have uh, brands that talked a lot about marketing, um, but those fall into kind of the marketing budget. But uh, I looked at your numbers. profile and I just saw so many opportunities. Oh, uh, yeah. I kind of recently went in there and took all the kind of corny language I wrote back when I was uh, trying to get oh. jobs and, and took it out. Um, but I think my last time I posted on Instagram, I only had one kid. So that gives you a good idea of how often I use Yeah, it. that's like three years. Okay, yeah. So that's all right. There's always new. There's always tomorrow. Well, gentlemen, thank you both. It's been um, it's been a great conversation and um, looking forward to just kind of seeing where this, you know, where this trajectory takes us. Tony, thank you so much for the opportunity. Great to be here. Cool. Thank you. Good to see you, Daniel. Good to see you, Matt.